to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, we are continuing our conversation on Scott's book, Pastor Paul, Nurturing a Culture of Christiformity in the Church. We are continuing our look at seven examples that demonstrate how nurturing Christiformity was at the heart of the Pauline mission. And this week, we're going to look at Paul's uh, culture of witness. So Scott, I thought we'd start, we were just talking about how to pronounce this name, but I think it's Sesla Speak, and um, he gives a a definition of a New Testament witness to the gospel. So a witness to the gospel is someone who is present when something was said or done, is active to announce, proclaim, or describe what the witness observed or heard identifies with what was seen or heard and believes the gospel that Jesus is Lord and embodies that witness even to the point of death and has hearers or observers render decisions on the basis of the witness's witness. So that's a lot. That's a lot describing this idea of what a witness does. So what else can you tell us about this? Yeah, and um, uh Neither one of us is absolutely certain that we're pronouncing Sesla speak the correct way, but I believe that's the way I've heard it. And it is an amazing resource, and he was a great scholar, Sesla speak, and I love his uh, three-volume word book on the New Testament. But um, there are some people today who think a witness is primarily, if not exclusively, uh, the behavior of the person. But this is a term, martus is the Greek noun, and martureo is the Greek word, is the Greek verb, um, is primarily a word in the register of verbal uh, actions. And so it's someone who testifies, who witnesses to something, Hmm. but they also embody that witness uh, in a sense for saying what they did and for adhering to what they saw. So... Uh, in the New Testament, a martus, um, uh, we translate often as a martyr, mm-hmm. uh, and that is because they were put to death for their adherence and allegiance to King Jesus. Well, the Apostle Paul is big on this, and he has called, he has encouraged many people to become witnesses in our world, both verbally and the way they behave and um, to rent to get people to make decisions and um, today we're going to kind of flip the script the script and uh, we're going to talk about Laura Taro <laughs> as a witness in some ways but not yeah. really. we'll get we'll get into your story but um, uh, there, you, there's some news uh, from your corner and I'll just mention it briefly and then you can clarify it but um, this week, now I'm not sure when this is going to be broadcasted, but uh, let's say on Monday, was it? Mm-hmm. The 11th? Yep. Laura Taro was officially ordained and is now Reverend Laura Mott Taro. So exciting. In the Evangelical Covenant Church. And yeah. this is a public congratulations to you. Um, 
and a great honor for us at Northern, for you, and for all your friends. But um, I, you know, this is uh, this is something in a sense that there's a lot of women at Northern Seminary interested in ministry um, and feel like they're called to ministry, and it's it's pretty comfortable at Northern Seminary. It's it's not always comfortable when people get into the when women get into the church or when they go online and have to take <laughs> take up the old age old problems. But I would like to uh, begin today, Laura, not only with congratulations, and maybe you want to say something about Monday, but um, if if you would um, tell the story of when you began to sense that maybe the Lord was calling you into more of a pastoral, a preaching, teaching role. Yeah, that's good. So Monday, I had my licensing interview with the Evangelical Covenant Church. So this is sort of the first step of um, being licensed as a full-time ministry license um, that qualifies me to be a reverend, which is super exciting. Um, It's a very affirming process, which is something Mm -hmm. that I really value um, to have other pastors grill you on theological distinctives um, about your call, all of those things, and then to come out on the other side with them affirming your call into ministry uh, is just a huge blessing and, and really just a just a gift, I think, for me um, to experience. And my call to pastoral ministry came, gosh, five or six years ago now, and um, kind of caught me by surprise. I have been in ministry almost my entire adult life in one capacity or another, and I have believed that women could be pastors. And the way I would always tell people is I believe women can, I just don't think I've been called. Um and I always saw myself as a helper in ministry, as someone who loves to connect people, loves to teach. Um, but I didn't see myself specifically as a pastor. And um, several years ago, I was editing full time from home as a freelancer, and um, people started to come to me and ask me to teach them about the Bible, just different people that we encountered. People would find out what I did, that I edited academic books for pastors and would ask me questions. And at some point in there, I felt like God saying to me, I'm preparing you for pastoral ministry. And my response to that was, that's a very broad, open category. Um, Pastoral ministry, if we want to just that, I could interpret in a lot of different ways. And um But over time, it became clearer and clearer to me the call was specifically to pastor. And that kind of scared me to death in a lot of ways. Um, I come from a tradition that did not affirm women as pastors. And I knew that there were relational risks. There were community risks um, for me to pursue this, um, that a lot of people that I loved would probably misunderstand why I wanted to do this. Um, I had people tell me that I was pushing a feminist agenda. Um, I, I wanted to follow God. In my mind, if God calls you to a thing, then you are responsible to be obedient to that call to be faithful Mm -hmm. to that call. Um, And so that's, even though I was nervous about it and I knew that I would probably upset some people I loved um, through that process, 
uh, I felt like I needed to follow up on it. So I, I started a journey. I talked to my pastors at our church at the time. I said, I'm called to pastoral ministry. And I literally said in the meeting, I know you don't do that here, but you are my pastors. You've become pastors. You followed this path. Please help me figure out what I need to do next. Um, and they offered me a job, <laughs> which I took um, and held for several years. But I kept every year, would come back to them at my review and said, the call is to pastor. I want to be prepared to pastor. And at first they were pretty encouraging of that. But over time it became, why are you still asking us that? Um, aren't you happy in your role? And what, I what was, was your role? Was yeah, your role? I was I was a director of small groups for a pretty large church Um Mm -hmm. I moved into leading a worship service, a weekly worship service. I was directing that and organizing that, but that was on a voluntary basis. It wasn't part of my job. Um, and I was having a lot of opportunities to be out in front, to lead seminars. I taught um, an introduction on the Bible. I led seminars on evangelism for the church. I, I was doing a lot of things, and so I, I was enjoying the roles, um, but... I kept coming back to that. I want to be the person that shows up when somebody's sick in the hospital. I want to be the person that sits down and prays with people. I want to, um, not just prepare background information for sermons. I actually want to preach, uh, the content that I'm, you know, learning about. And so it, it, it got pretty uncomfortable at one point. And, um, long story short, basically I was asked to leave, um, which was super painful, but, um, at that point I really had to wrestle with God a little bit and say, the call has not been removed. The call is still there. And why, you know, the easiest avenue to follow that call has, has not led to fruition. So I can either curl up in a ball and say, I tried and I'm done, yeah, yeah. or I can keep pursuing this. And so that's, that's what we did. And it was, it was not, Fun. It was it was tough. Um, I was in seminary at the time. I'd already started, and I found myself in my first year of seminary realizing I had no church, I had no denomination, I had no job, but I had a call, and so um, I stuck with it. And I think there were some people who were really helpful at that particular sort of crisis moment. Well, you know, it's I I wonder sometimes with these these. Uh, pastors with authority and power, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have this, um, who who have this sort of strong view that women aren't supposed to be called to pastor. You know, they can do background work. I wonder what they would have done with uh, Hulda. I wonder what they would have done with, you know, Esther. I wonder what they would have done with Mary. I wonder what they would have done with Priscilla. You know, her name comes first. I just was working on this passage this morning in Acts 18. I wonder what they would have done with Junia, Phoebe. What about the prophets who are Philip's daughters? I mean, would they have said, no, you can't do that? And I'm afraid to say, I'm not proud to say this at all. I'm, I'm firm in saying it. I think that they're quenching the spirit uh, with, with a view. If, if someone is called, uh, we have to be open to what the Spirit of God is doing. And it's not the case 
that everybody who thinks they're called are actually called. I've, I've had to, I remember my early career having to tell a couple students that, you know, you may think you're called to pastoral ministry, but you are too mean to be a pastor. <laughs> You'll never make it. Uh, you need to find something else to do. I remember thinking, I was about 32 or 33 years old telling people this who were 40. I'm going, whoa, what am I doing here? But yeah. uh, one of them actually told me thanks. Hmm. So uh, in, a, in a sense, Laura, I'm sorry for your experience, but I know um, I know what you were like in that first class. And I remember yeah. telling Chris, my wife, this is a gifted young woman hmm. who um, is going to end up teaching and preaching. Hmm. And... You were in a class of good students, but you were a leader in that class. And I'm really glad that you have found uh, the Covenant Church uh, yeah. where women are affirmed. Yeah. Uh, you will probably learn that uh, women who are affirmed are not always affirmed by everyone. Yes. Uh, even in the Covenant Church, though they've ordained yeah. women for decades. Um, so I'm really glad uh, for that part of your story and that you found your way free. I'm sorry for the pain. But I wonder, um, you, you've, in a, okay, uh, has your husband been a strong supporter? Yes, absolutely. And, and I would say for him, there were moments where, like he had his own learning curve, right? Where he knew when we met, I was in leadership. I was um, on staff with Young Life and he was on my team of volunteers. So he had already been observing me in ministry leadership for years. But he also grew up um, in a church that didn't allow women into leadership roles. Um, so I think he had his own learning curve there, but I, he never doubted me as a leader, as a ministry leader. I think for him, it was coming to terms with, is pastoring okay? Um, so, and I, I th but he has never wavered in his support of me. You know, in the last year, uh three or four of our uh, women students at Northern have gone through or come to crucial moments in this phase. And their their husbands have been tremendous supports for this. Yeah. And, you know, one of them has a husband who does a Facebook page on, he calls himself the what, the pastor's wife. Or yes, something. yes. It is so funny. Yeah. But uh, he's he's doing this sort of as in fun, but he's so supportive of Amanda. Yeah. So um, you know, I'm really I'm really glad about that. But okay, every woman who, in my experience, who gets called into ministry, experiences some obstacles, some roadblocks, yeah. some oppositions. Uh, share with us some of this in your own journey here. Yeah, I think. Some of the opposition has just been a lack of um, leadership that I could look to and point to and say, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Um, when you don't see examples of women leading in those ways, it's really hard to, um, I think, continue the journey. It's it's just mm -hmm. a challenge. And, and to imagine, to have an imagination to see yourself in those roles. Um, I one of my first jobs in my mid-20s, I had just finished my first round of seminary, and I was working as a youth director at a church, and 
I just remember coming into it with this sense of this was a church that affirmed women in leadership. There was a very gifted associate pastor there who was a female, and I loved watching her lead, and I learned a lot from watching her lead. Um, But one of the things that I struggled with in the dynamic of that particular church was as gifted as she was and as gospel-oriented as she was, the church as a whole... um, I I struggled with because I didn't know how much they loved the gospel. So there were times where I would sit in church when the other pastor would preach and I'd have to sit on my hands because I just wanted to jump up and say, just tell the people about Jesus. It's not hard. Why are you making this so hard? Um, and and I, I left that experience feeling like I was going to have to choose between being faithful to scripture, being faithful to the gospel, or using my gifts. And so I think at that point, I just sort of shut down on um, leadership roles, probably for the next decade. Um, I thought, I will volunteer. I will be supportive. I will help others in ministry. I, I just really was not, I felt like I had to choose between leadership or um, gospel faithfulness, gospel witness. Mm, mm, and I, um, faced with, and, and that's also how we ended up in a complementarian church because I valued scripture. I wanted to hear it preached. And it wasn't till the end of that experience in part, because I have a daughter, like I remember at one point thinking, but what gospel is she hearing preached? She's hearing sort of a second class gospel for her. Um, she's not seeing models of women in leadership and I'm, so it's sort of the coming together of, um, she may be hearing scripture, but she's hearing a a distortion of it where the gospel is somehow less good for her. And I don't want that. Um, and I, and I kind of had this hope that there were churches out there where you didn't have to choose between those things. Or I've seen, I've heard so many women say this is that. I did this for my daughter. Yeah. I've done this for girls so yeah. that they will see uh, that there is another way, that there's a yeah. possibility for them. And because, you know, what happens? I mean, how many thousands, millions of women who have been awakened to a call or to a giftedness that they have? Maybe, maybe they didn't even think of it in terms of a call who lived in a world where this was not even remotely possible. So that's good. I'm wondering who have been um, your biggest inspirations or what have been the biggest moments of uh, inspiration, encouragement to, to keep going? I, I have to say, I, I definitely grew up in a family of strong women and um, I've, I've, not lacked for um, role models in the sense of strong women who were leaders, who were capable. Um, they have, my mom in my 20s said to me, the church, the evangelical church doesn't know what to do with women with leadership gifts or teaching mm-hmm. gifts. And she said, but God is faithful and he will always provide you opportunities to serve. You just may have to go looking outside of sort of traditional methods yeah, um, to find yeah. those. And and that sort of started me on my trajectory of, I know these are my gifts. I know teaching and leadership, these are my gifts. 
Um, but I'm going to have to be creative and finding places for these. So I think that was helpful. I think for me, you know, I, um, I want to insert yeah. something here. Um, Kate, I think her name is Kate Bowler. She has a book called The Preacher's Wife, in which she makes this big point, and this is very important to realize, is that when males have banned women from exercising their gifts of teaching, speaking, preaching, leading, they have found parachurch ministries to do that in. And th this is one of the reasons so many parachurch ministries are flourishing today because of the given. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But. And and so that's, I mean, right out of college, parachurch is what I did um, for several years for that reason. And um, so I would say my mom was a big influence. I think there have always been women in church who love scripture and who are serving in whatever capacity they can find. There's no shortage of these women. Um, and so I, I've, I've been around strong women leaders my entire life. And I read, um, in college and in high school, I've read an awful lot of missionary biographies, huh. which is really kind of funny, but there are a lot of women that God has used on the mission field for just forever. And reading these yep. stories was so inspirational to me. And, and I also kind of raised that question of, gosh, if God uses these women all over the world, sharing the gospel, teaching scripture, translating scripture, um, serving, creating churches. Like, why can't we do that here? It's, it's no different. And so I think that was inspirational to me. Um, but probably one of the biggest voices for me, uh, was the writing of Carolyn Custis James. Um, I, I tend to recommend her to lots of women because she has, she is steeped in evangelicalism. She knows that world. Um, and yet she, so she understands the desire to root this in scripture and to understand it, um, to see how God has used women in scripture. And I think for me, that was a big, a big move to be able to say, look at how God used Hulda. Look at how God used Ruth. Look at how God used Mary of Bethany. These women were leaders. They were influencers. Um, they understood scripture. They taught men about scripture. Mm -hmm. um, it's all there. I wasn't learning this in church. I had been to seminary. This wasn't taught to me in seminary the first go round. Um, so I think her writing really helped me see this is biblical. This is, this is not a rogue thing that I'm trying to put onto scripture because I have an agenda. This is actually God's heart and it's found you in know, scripture. Carolyn, um, is an amazing, let's call her a, a midwife of yeah. women going into ministry. Um, she has an amazing gift for this in this way. She's very kind and sort of gentle. Yeah. But the more you know her, you realize there is a rock solid firmness about what she thinks. And she can look at you and smile and eviscerate your argument. And you go, <laughs> whoa, she just did that. Yeah. And she's she's played an amazing role. And, and I've I've been with her a few times. I really appreciate her. And her books are very good. She loves to study the Bible, and she yes. can write very well. So, um, let's let's move on to um, 
role models. Now, I think we've kind of touched on this, but who who have been pastors that have you've said I can do that? Hmm. You know, it's so interesting. I I was reflecting I think last week on a pastor that I had uh when I was in college and um he was an older gentleman. He he led um a church in Warrenville, Illinois, an evangelical Presbyterian church. And um, just a very quiet man, but he loved people. And when he taught, he wasn't flashy. I had grown up hearing sermons that were very tight, that were very, you know, I mean, just wonders of homiletics. He was not that, Um, but he genuinely loved his people. I remember watching him during communion carry the trays around the church to people who couldn't physically get up to come forward for it and getting on his knees and serving it to them. And I, I remember thinking that is someone who pastors people. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And, and, you know, I, I, this is, this was in the nineties where the model was sort of a super flamboyant, charismatic, young, fiery preacher. Um, but that was not my example in church. And I just remember thinking that is, that is a model of faithfulness. Nobody's going to remember his name. You know what I mean? Like it's, but, but that is, that is faithfulness. That's godliness. And, um, so I think that was that was remarkable to me. And I, I went to seminary in my early 20s, and I remember looking, I remember calling my mom and saying, I don't think I would want any of these guys to be my pastor. Wow. <laughs> Which is terrible. <laughs> these were all, you know, motivated guys in their mid-20s. And um, I just remember thinking they're all very sure of themselves and sure of their knowledge and sure of their, you know, benefits to others. And I just, I want to see humility. I want to see leadership that serves. And, um, I, I think that I, I am deeply moved when I see that practiced, when you see pastors who love their people well and who love Jesus and, and represent Jesus to others. That's a good, that's a good story about the pastor in, Mm -hmm. uh, in Warrenville. What about uh, your classmates? Have they been encouraged? Oh my gosh, yes. I One of the things about Northern, it's just such a breath of fresh air. I think being with those students who are in the midst of doing the work, um, and but also caring for one another, being vulnerable with one another, advocating for one another. Um, it's just such a joy and such a gift to be in that context right now in my life. I think when I was sort of going through my crisis of leaving our former church and trying to find a new setting, um, I mean, just the care that they extended and, um, we check in on each other fairly regularly, um, you know, texting back and forth or messaging each other, um, and I, I think that's part of pastoring, right? It's so there's something so beautiful about being in a community of pastors yeah. who are all pastoring each other along the way. You know, I've um, I've been asked at times, uh, "Do you pastor your students much?" And you know, I often say, "Well, I'm not a pastor; I'm a professor." But uh, and I do think there's a big difference in role. But um, I've often said to myself and to others, "You know, we don't need to." These classes are filled with pastors, 
and they go to one another. These Facebook pages light up. They know one another's messenger address or their <laughs> text message address or their phone number and their emails. And there's a lot of pastoral communication between students. And you know, Laura, over the years, I've had, uh, I've had, I get, I get, we get in these cohorts and there always seems to be two or three students in each class that just sort of rise above the others as the pastors of the class, maybe because of their experience. But I, I think you will say in 20 years that you learned more pastoring from your classmates in seminary than probably anywhere else. And uh, I'm really proud of Northern in that. Now, now here's, here's the question. You've been in this journey for, what, three years, four mm -hmm. years? Three Actually, years. probably probably longer, but yeah. you're in the seminary, but you've been thinking about this. What uh, what wisdom, what advice would you have for women um, who are considering this, but also for those male pastors who have women who are sensing this? What what are some things that you've learned that you wish other people knew? Yeah. I think a big piece is to go to the places that are going to see your gifts. Um, the first time I went to seminary, I went to a seminary where I was not seen. I joke about wearing an invisibility cloak on campus, you know, um, <laughs> not physically seen. Um, Northern has been completely the opposite where I think it, it, there's an intentionality about seeing people from lots of different walks, lots of different life experiences and calling out giftedness. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say to women in particular, go to a place you're going to be seen where your gifts are going to be valued and celebrated and um, where people are going to encourage you. Um, there, there are lots of places that will take your money and give you an education that won't see you. Um, and it's, I, I just don't think it's worth it. Be in a place where you're going to be seen and encouraged. Oh, yeah, no, that's just one piece of advice. You've got more than one, I think. I think <laughs> yeah, know. I think, I think um, women are going to need more. I think are going to need more encouragement. So for male pastors, I think just know that um, because there are not as many uh, women that are visible in leadership in, in most of our places, um, they're going to need some extra affirmation and some extra encouragement. And it's going to need to be somebody saying, I see this in you. I see this possibility in you. And I've seen evidence of, of God's calling on your life. And start passing them books, start having conversations with them about pastoral role, pastoral leadership. You Even using the word pastor with a woman is profoundly moving. Um, I, I think sometimes I, it's weird to say this, sometimes I feel bad for the men because they don't have that profound experience. I, I wonder, I don't know, but I think for a woman to have someone call her pastor, um, is just profoundly moving because um, usually by the time that happens, it's been something that she's been moving towards for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it is something that um, she's not been sure of. So to have yeah. someone call that out in her life is extremely powerful. Very interesting expression. Yes. I think the men 
assume that if they get the qualifications, they're going to be called pastor. So it's just a question of when. But for for some women, for a lot of women, the question is if. So now, now here's here's a question that I have uh, about women who go into pastoring. Because I've heard this from women, do you do you feel like you have to be five notches above men to get noticed to be seen? You know, there's a sense in which women feel like they have to be better, because if they're just like men, then why need a woman? I wonder if you, something like that. What yeah, do you have to say? it's such an interesting question because. Um, Yes, but it also makes us a liability. I think women feel the pressure to be hyper-equipped and to be um, better, but it also um, can turn into a liability. So I have been in rooms, I have been in situations where I have sat there thinking, that's not right. You know, what, what someone is saying right now is not right. But if I call that out, then I become a target. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it becomes a liability in the sense that you become extremely threatening. I don't think of myself as a terribly threatening person, but I can't tell yeah, you yeah. how many times I've been accused of, of being threatening. Um, and, and so it's sort of like we can't win. It's like we have to be extra p- prepared to move into these circles, to be taken seriously, to have credibility, but the more work that we do to prepare and to get ready and to be um, super qualified also puts us in danger of, of being a threat. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough. And I think um, I can't tell you how many women will talk to one another about ways that they have hidden their gifts in the context of church environments over the years. There you um, go. That's a conversation that happens I mean, all the time. And I can tell you, I've done it myself. I, you know, there have been times where I, my husband and I have joined an adult Sunday school class and no one in the room knows that I've been to seminary. Um, And I work really hard to adjust, to modify, to downplay um, until I feel like people are comfortable with me. And then I'll slowly reveal some of those things because I want people to have a framework for me, before they know those things about me, because otherwise I just am in super intimidating. All kinds of conclusions are drawn about me that are not true. Um, and it's just, wow. it's just hard. You know, and so many of the men, well, not so many, I don't know what percent, but they assert themselves to make everybody in the room know that they're qualified to be teaching this class, but they're just sitting there. Um, but the, what you have just said here has been so wise and helpful. I mean, I think a lot of women can benefit from hearing this. You know, women are going to be criticized um, and they're going to have to learn to respond to these criticisms. But uh, there's a sense in which they have to play the game of not being too aggressive, uh, but yet exercising their gifts. Because if they don't exercise their gifts, they're quenching the spirit that is in them and if they do exercise their gifts, they're accused of being too strong or a feminist or assertive, etc. It is, it's a hard game to play. But uh, I, what I'm seeing is, 
an increasing number of churches that are open to this. And so I think there's a, a gradual, it's going to be gradual, cultural shift and transformation. So I just want to thank you for this sort of last few minutes uh, shift in our plans. We can go back to Paul as a witness the next time. But uh, for being willing to share your story, I know that so many of our listeners uh, will benefit from this. And I'm hoping that the male pastors listen to this carefully so that they'll know how to advise wisely uh, the young women in their churches who are beginning to sense their call. And send them to Northern because yeah. yes. uh, we're going to provide a safe environment for them. So, yes. um, Laura, I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I, would... I have used, I can say I... I authentained, you know what I mean by this this verb of Paul usurping control mm, yes. about in First Timothy, yeah. that I have authentained the <laughs> the interview role in this. <laughs> It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> yes. Scott emailed me this morning and told me he was going to interview me. And I was like, what? Um, I will say for women, just remember why why you're doing this. And it's it's because of your, your being faithful to God's call. It's because you love Jesus. And when you do face opposition, and you will, um, it's not about convincing other people. It's about following Jesus, and and that that is ultimately what matters, and that's Beautiful. what gets you through just the hard moments. is is just a ruthless evaluation of your own motives, and if you're doing it because you want to follow Jesus and you want to be obedient to His call, keep doing it. So okay, I'll end now with I got to now I got to <laughs> tell the truth though. Chris is the one who said to me. She said to me last night, you. Uh, Laura's become a uh, a reverend. You need to interview her now. So, so <laughs> that's so, awesome. That's okay. Awesome. All right. You get to close it out. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us for this conversation on Kingdom Roots, and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.